Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. What up? 30 years ago this week, the federal minimum wage was raised. What is your best guess of what it was? 425. That's what it was or that's what it became? That's what it became. What do you think it was before that? Uh, $4. It was 380. I can't believe you remember the 425. Is that because you started working that year? I did. I had a job making 425 an hour. But at the time I thought, man, that's good money. I'm making good money. I remember thinking at one point when I was making like, I don't know, $6 an hour or something. And if I could ever make $8 an hour, I'd be set for life. I think $10 an hour was the mark for me. I thought if I had $10 an hour, I was loaded. Yeah. Crazy to think about, man. It went from 380 to 425. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I had for you, man. All right, cool. We'll holler at you later. All right. See ya. Bye. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop. A weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 3, Episode 12, Blue Devil Basketball and the Birth of Ninja Rap. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, April 6, 1991. Welcome, dear friends, to another episode of 30 Pop. I couldn't be happier to have you with me today as we reminisce on a week filled with smooth R&B jams, Blue Devil domination, and Canadian rock debuts. I couldn't get through it all without you, and even if I could, what would be the point? Let's dive in, shall we? On April 1st, 1991, the Duke University Blue Devils beat out the Kansas Jayhawks in the 53rd annual NCAA Men's Basketball Championship for the first of what has since become five NCAA championships in the team's now 115-year history, each of them won under coaching legend Mike Krzyzewski. Coach K, as he's so affectionately referred to, has been the team's head coach for 42 seasons now, since taking over in his early 30s and he remains so remarkably relevant today. He's an inductee in the College Basketball Hall of Fame, the United States Olympic Hall of Fame, the U.S. Military Academy Sports Hall of Fame, and the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame twice over. He's also the winningest coach in college basketball history, by like a large margin. Somebody should probably produce a podcast about him, or at least about this Blue Devil team. They were an absolute powerhouse in those years, and there will be plenty more to say about them over the next couple seasons of 30 Pop. In music this week in 1991, we had a few somewhat insignificant album releases from artists who would eventually become much better known. None of the albums, however, could even come close to dethroning Mariah Carey's self-titled debut from the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 200, where it remained for the sixth consecutive week. First up, On April 2nd, the double platinum selling sophomore release from rising rock star Lenny Kravitz, Mama Said. Despite both selling and aging well, this album was an overwhelming disappointment to critics at the time. Although, if I were to guess, I bet very few of them would stand by their words today looking back on Kravitz's career. The general sentiment from critics at the time was, this guy is massively talented, we just wish he'd do something different. 
They felt like he was not only heavily influenced by artists from the 60s, but attempting to copy them outright. What charmed them about his debut album bored them on his second album. Little did they know that he would continue doubling down on that sound and style until it felt entirely original, as though he'd actually invented it. For example, to my knowledge, I've never heard this album at all, and even still, I can pretty much guarantee that I know exactly how it sounds. While I'm not a huge fan of Kravitz's music, I do have a deep appreciation for his talent and the space he occupies culturally. And I thought he was great in the Hunger Games movies. We'll get back to him in a couple years when his massive third album hits the shelves. Are you going to go my way? The next album release worth mentioning, I guess, from this week in 1991, was the April 5th debut release from Canadian folk rock band Crash Test Dummies, The Ghosts That Haunt Me. The band's first international success was still a couple years away in the form of their 1993 breakout follow-up to this album, God Shuffled His Feet. But this was no slouch of a debut, selling over 400,000 copies in Canada alone off the success of their single, Superman's Song. Superman never made any money Saving the world from sorrow and bondage And sometimes I despair The world will never see another man like him And sometimes I despair The world will never see another man It certainly was not on my radar at the time, but I am legitimately curious to give this band a listen now, all these years later. I don't know that I'd be a fan necessarily, but I do believe I'd have a much different appreciation for them as an adult than I did as a kid. Lastly, the very next day, on April 6, 1991, another Canadian artist released their first album the self-titled debut from 16-year-old dance pop singer Alanis, as in Alanis Morissette. And yes, I said dance pop. You may, like me, find that to be kind of a hard pill to swallow if you only think of Morissette as the alternative rock songstress we all came to love in the mid-90s, singing about fellatiotic exploits and having one hand in her pocket. But ironically, this is how she sounded just a few years earlier. God, she found her way musically a few years later. In other musical news, we had a little movement on the Billboard charts we track on this show, although not on the Hot 100, where Gloria Estefan held the number one spot for the second straight week with her single, Coming Out of the Dark, or on the Hot Rap chart, where Main Source held the top spot for the third and final week with Looking at the Front Door. The new number one song on the Hot R&B and Hip Hop chart for one and only one week was Freddie Jackson's Do Me Again.
I have no memory of this one because I was almost certainly still far more interested in the number one song from the previous two weeks, of which I remain a fan today. High fives, I like the way, the kissing game. The new number one song on the Hot Country chart this week in 1991 was Garth Brooks's very clever Two of a Kind Working on a Full House, which is virtually non-existent in any sort of streaming form thanks to Brooks's indefatigable resistance to the 21st century. Don't get me wrong, I believe artists should be paid fairly for their work. But, no fences, the album which featured this and so many great Garth Brooks songs has sold nearly 20 million copies to date. And 30 years later, Brooks still boasts a net worth of nearly half a billion dollars. I don't know that allowing the album to be streamed would really affect his income these days in any sort of negative or noticeable way. It does, however, affect my willingness to risk sharing a clip of it on this show. I tend to imagine him using that tremendous wealth to pay a team of diligent attorneys to spend their time scouring the internet for any unauthorized use of his music and then squashing the offenders like bugs beneath their large and litigious feet. If you'd like to hear a clip of the song, you'll need to either find a music store somewhere that still sells physical media, which genuinely may require the use of some sort of time travel device, or just dig your old CD case out of the closet because you probably own this album at some point, whether you remember buying it or not. Anyway... In Hollywood this week in 1991, for the third and final week, the number one film at the box office was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. I finally had a chance to sit down this week with my new friend and patron, Austin-based filmmaker Aaron Kirk, to talk about it in a segment we call Film Depreciation. Aaron, welcome to 30 Pop. So good to have you on. First timer. That's right. Man, it's been a long time coming. I feel like we've been talking about having you on the show for like months now, <laughs> and here you are. Yeah, but I, well, I think you will become a pretty regular guest for us here on the show. So, so glad to have you. Well, I'm honored. It's, it's been a blast getting to know you, man. Well, today we are going to talk about one of the worst sequels, I think, but not the worst sequel <laughs> in the history of 1991 (laughs) films. So 30 years ago this week for the third and final week, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze was the top movie at the box office. Were you a fan? Oh yeah, of course I was. You and I are about the same age, almost exactly. So yeah, no, no kidding. And I remember the anticipation being really high and just speculating like crazy about like, you know, whatever the trailers looked like. I'm trying to remember, but like assuming like it was going to be Bebop and Rocksteady, yeah. you know, even as I watched the movie, it's like, oh, they make you Bebop and Rocksteady. Yep. And they did not. No, what a disappointment that was. I don't understand other than somehow they thought Bebop and Rocksteady was too silly of a name. And so we got Toka and Razar. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about was just like, why the hell would you even bother creating these sort of animal people and it not be the two villains that we had all come to love or hate or whatever in in the cartoon? They were cartoon staples. They were arcade game staples, right? You had to fight them. You had to jump kick them like a thousand times Mm -hmm. to beat them. Yeah, it it blows my mind. And that's, I remember even as a kid, there was some disappointment there. Like I obviously still like, there was no way I came out of this movie going like, I hated that movie. There's no way. But as time went on, and as you start to become, you know, an adult and you think about what's important to you about the Ninja Turtles as an adult, as all adults do, uh, you're like, oh, Ninja Turtles 2 was, uh, 
kind of a, it's not as bad as the third one though no that's as i say it blows that's why that was the little disclaimer there is that it's not the worst sequel yeah. i've ever seen because that may be teenage mutant ninja turtles 3 out of time or whatever yeah. it was called but it is bad and it's pretty terrible what i'll say is like and i think this is sort of what you're getting at like i loved it when it came out but i probably loved it for about 10 minutes i mean like it did not stay with me the way the first i still to this day will watch the first one and love it i love it it's just it's so yeah, it's so nostalgic for me and this one is just so stupid yeah and there's a difference between stupid and like good silly and this is not that i think some of the acting and when i say the acting i'm honestly pointing at the guys doing like the voice work for the turtles and the puppeteering like that's still good but the movie like it's almost like the first one wanted to have fun but took that fun seriously and this one was just like kids love these stupid things let's just make something stupid you know like i, I don't know how to i mean we're again we're talking about ninja turtles but it's still like the cast i mean no casey jones we get a different april mm-hmm. who Pace Turco is fine. I've seen her in other stuff as I've gotten older, and I, I think she's good. But she's not April O'Neil. I mean, I know, I no, she's not. And I don't know. I'm sure there's plenty of stories. I feel like there's a documentary that needs to be made someday about that first movie, which was like the most profitable indie film for years. I mean, deservingly, it's fantastic. And yeah, I, yeah. I think what they also sacrificed in the second one is like you lost all of the darkness of the first one, and that was what was so appealing about if you're going to sell a story about teenage mutant ninja turtles i mean just thinking about exactly <laughs> like you have to make it darker it's just not going to work it's going to be corny which is what we got in the second and third movie also i, right. I, I, think, I think i disagree with you about the acting like i don't think the acting holds up at all in the second one i think it, we got what do we get two turtles that returned and then everybody else in the series was different what the second one had that you know i what? loved i'm mostly thinking of mikey and that's true. And that's the one you have to Mikey have. Mikey was the same guy. Yeah. The one thing that I will say really, really works about the second one that I would have loved even more of is Ernie Reyes Jr. I loved everything Ernie Reyes Jr. did in those days. He was the best. He was. He had that little pocket of time where he was in some stuff for us as kids. Well, Surf Ninjas, right? Didn't he do that? I think he was in Surf Ninjas. I knew him from a show called Sidekick that he did with Chuck Norris. Oh, that's because there was the movie with Chuck Norris that had Jonathan Brandis. Do you remember that? I do remember that. There, maybe it's not Sidekick. What was? Uh, we're gonna have to. Let me look. I'm looking it up. Sweet. Yeah, Sidekicks was the name of the show. Oh, it's not okay. Chuck Norris, but it is Ernie Reyes Jr. And I loved him in it. So it wasn't with his dad. His, was it? His dad was a kind of a known martial artist for a while. No. Oh, it was Gil, Gil Gerard was the guy. It was only 23 episodes okay. apparently, but I loved it. I remember loving it. So there you go. I'm trying to think of some of the other things I was thinking about Turtles. I mean, Vanilla Ice, kind of have to remember that Vanilla Ice had his cameo. And I talked to my dad about it last night, and he was like, oh, that was a rough time. And I'm like, I know. I probably listened to that song a million times. Because it was one of those things where, like, we were told it was awesome, so we decided it was awesome for a little while. Yeah, the Vanilla Ice piece, I mean, that was probably at the time the thing that excited me most about the film was just knowing that he was going to be in it. You yeah. know, we've got later this year, yeah. we get to talk about Cool as Ice. Did you ever see Cool as Ice? You know what? I've I've been spared that. I've oh, been spared that. Well, that's unfortunate. I bought it last year and I <laughs> have, have watched it a couple times since then. And it is just so stupid. But we'll get to that when the time is right. Okay. So. Well, I'll watch it for you so that we're, um, yeah. I was talking about, I remember Super Shredder and kind of wishing that was more of a thing because that did not last long. And Super Shredder basically defeats himself 
in the movie, which is kind of dumb as I got older. I can't remember. Did they explain why Shredder is still alive after so being... So he's... No. I don't think they did. Other, he was all scarred up. And he ingests the last thing of ooze at the 11th hour there at the end. Mm-hmm. And then, like, he's Kevin Nash, WWE yeah. wrestler Kevin Nash... But basically just goes nuts and swings around at the turtles and knocks out a bunch of pillars on a pier, I yes. think, and it drops on him. And, yeah. and so it's like, I, I look back and I'm like, we didn't really get, like, okay, Super Shredder and he's dead because he's dumb now. And he killed himself. Mm. Uh, man, yeah, this is starting to dispute less and less good. You know who's good? <laughs> Maybe not in the movie, but who's good? Who's that? David Warner is a fun actor. Who is that? Who do you play in the movie? He plays the professor and he is all in. Professor Jordan Perry who I'm pretty sure is supposed to be like the unknown member of New Kids on the Block by that name. But David Warner is kind of legendary, man, especially in like pop culture stuff. I mean, he was the villain in Tron. He was in Time Bandits. He's done animated voices, did some Star Treks, did some, it was in Titanic. He's been around. He's got like 200 and something credits. He's great. He's a really good actor. He did a really awesome show with Kenneth Branagh called Wallander. I've heard of that show, but I haven't seen it. It's got a young Tom Hiddleston with uh, very short, curly hair. Oh, nice. Well, now I'm going to have to rewatch Ninja Turtles 2 to see who this is, because I have no memory whatsoever of this person in in the film. Yeah, but it's been a couple of years since I watched it, so... It's been a bit for me, too. So looking back now, 30 years later, if you had to rate this film, this segment is called Film Depreciation, and we like to just look at these movies and sort of see Uh how they've held up over the years. And so I'm curious, if you were to rate this movie now 30 years later, how would you rate this movie? (laughs) Out of, what's the scale? You can make it up. I don't care. Okay, I'll go with the classic 10 and give it a 4. And I give it a 4 because the Turtles were still Henson puppets, and they still look pretty good. And the third movie, they did not go with oh, the Henson gosh, Company. So bad. It shows. So go back. I mean, if you've looked recent, their mouths are not right. No, nothing about them. Nothing about them is right. And I think they're different puppets in this movie too, right? Like this was. These are different than I'm the sure, first. I'm sure they are probably trying to improve on it because I mean, if you think about the Henson Company, they're always inventing and re- rebuilding that stuff. I mean, they're pretty amazing suits to begin with. Going back to the first movie, oh yeah, they worked at all the stunt work and the performing. Cause like they had a, an actor, a voice actor and a stunt guy for like each turtle plus puppeteers. Yeah. That's amazing. And you kind of forget that watching these. And I would say you still kind of forget that watching this because at least the turtles still feel alive. Like the Henson magic is still there and it is not in the third one. And I never watched the TV show where they uh, had a crossover with the power Rangers or something. Oh gosh. I didn't even know that existed. The live action one. It was on Netflix for like, you know, I mean, it's from like when we were in high school. So, but it existed. It looks pretty bad. Again, there's not a Henson involvement at all. Yeah. So that's, that that's tells you anything. Yeah, it's, just, it's Power Ranger budget level stuff. That says it all right but yeah, there. But they had a crossover. They so you crossover. go for it. So you're, you're kinder than I am. I don't think I could go four out of 10 for this, even just, for nostalgia. I mean, well, that's part of it for me and the Henson thing and, just because it's not the third one. I think, I th- yeah, that's true. <laughs> Just because it's not the third one. I think I could go three. Even as much as I love the first one, 
I would still have to call it like a six or maybe seven out of ten as movies go. But that's just, you know, I'm I'm pretty stingy with a ten. So, you know, simply by comparison to other actual good films. I think a three is about as high as I could go with this one. And I just don't know that I could give even a solid one for the third one. I mean, it is so bad. I'm sure we'll be covering oh, it no, no. soon. The so. only thing that's good about the third one is Elias Cotes is back. Do you play Casey Jones? Yeah, yeah, back, yeah. And he kind of gives a performance that's unworthy of the movie, if I remember, because he's plays another character in the ancient times to some European oh, fella in yeah, Japan. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. And he had a really cool beard. And I will forever be a fan of that guy because of Casey Jones and because of the thin red line. Yep. I mean, um, I totally agree. He's, he's one of those people that every time I see him today, I'm like, oh, Casey Jones is in this, you know? Yeah. And he's also the guy that if they had made a movie about you 2 in oh, 1990, you would have played Bono. They had the same hair. Was he also in Late age. The Prophecy? He was. Okay, he was yeah. that's the other thing the I think of. Christopher yeah. Walken? Yeah, yeah I love yeah, that no, movie in high school. I, dude, I would do a lot to work with um, Mr. Cotis. I'm a fan. Nice. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you taking this much time out of your day to talk about a movie this oh, bad. Absolutely. So. You know what? You know what? It's a part of our lives. You know, it's part of the fabric of our lives. It's, it is. It's, it's definitely sewed in. It's not going anywhere in our memory yeah even as bad as it is it has made us who we are today so it's still ninja turtles best ninja turtles ever the nickelodeon 2012 series is that the sean astin yeah with uh rob paulson when he came back yeah sean astin rob's coming up on 30 pop here very soon oh man i love rob paulson man so much it's a fun fun interview but he's awesome all right, man. Well, hey, I'm going to have you back on very soon. We've got some announcements to make, I think, cool. about a show that you're working on. So we'll do that very soon. Yes. Uh, yep. Until then, thank you, my friend, for being on. Turtle power. <laughs> All right, man. All right. See you. <laughs> Bye. My sincerest gratitude to Aaron for taking the time to chat this week. I'm excited to tell you more later about a podcast he's gearing up to release soon. I won't get into those details just yet, but suffice to say, I'm looking very forward to it. I also look forward to having him back on 30 Pop again soon as a fellow appreciator of retro pop culture nostalgia. The last thing I'll share this week is a heartfelt happy birthday to two celebrity or celeb-adjacent folks who just turned 30. On April 2nd, rapper Quavo, and on April 4th, actress, singer, and pop princess sibling Jamie Lynn Spears. Happy birthday, famous people. All right, friends, that's it for this week. Thank you so much, as always, for continuing to show up and support this show with your listening ears and your kind reviews. You'll just never know how much I appreciate you, truly. I'll be back next week with more long-lost 30-year-old treasures, and I hope you'll join me again. And bring a friend. I'll see you then. For now, though, remember, you have youth and I have experience, but only those who fight now have both. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 30 years ago that you want to share, leave a message on the answering machine at 30pop.com. 